Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS and Play It Network. And I am, as always, excited about our show and today especially excited because we get to chat with Deepak Advani, who is the general manager of IBM Commerce. In other words, he's a real big deal in the world of business. IBM, a name that I have respected and admired since, uh, wow, I started in my business in the early 1980s. Uh, this guy is a smart dude as well. Wharton School of Business graduate. He's got a Master of Science in Computer Engineering from Wright State University. And somehow or another, IBM got smart and picked him up. So, Deepak, welcome to the show. Hey, Shep. I love that introduction. Thank you very much. It's great to be on with you. Well, I wanted to do an introduction that your mother would be proud of. And so uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully she'll listen to this and we'll have at least one happy camper out there. We're going to be talking about, you know, what's happening. You know, IBM is really a completely different company than it used to be. When I first started in business, IBM was a computer business, and that was pretty much it. But you've, we'll talk about where IBM is today, what they're doing, what specifically you're doing. We'll talk about the digital consumer and the relationships that brands have with that consumer and how they've changed. And I believe this, this will apply, by the way, uh, for the people listening. I think if you're a, a, an entrepreneur, if you're in big business, if you're in marketing, if, if you're B2C, B2B, it won't matter. We're going to get a lot of information. But let's start with, uh, well, let me just share you with my background with IBM and why I'm so excited, because not just talking to Deepak, but we've got someone from IBM here. As I th- always have thought that IBM is one of the, the greatest companies in the world. Um, in the mid-1980s, I believe they were the ones that practically invented customer service. If you wanted to look at the number one top-rated company, somebody to emulate in the world of customer service and experience, it was IBM. And uh, for a multitude of reasons, but they did an excellent job. Now, they have reinvented themselves, and that's why we're talking with Deepak. So, uh, Deepak, give us a little background, where you came from. We know where you went to school, but what happened after that? And by the way, you're a pretty young guy, so there probably wasn't a whole lot that happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I I started out my career, uh, you know, with Unix and uh, doing a lot of software development. I actually worked for NCR for a couple of years, and uh, then I came to IBM, uh, and um, you know, I worked in the high performance computing space again, you know, working on a lot of software development. And uh, after my business school degree, I branched out into you know strategy and. Uh, the first role that I had was to figure out what Linux meant to IBM, and this was, you know, on the 2000 time frame, was very disruptive, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I've been really blessed because over the years, IBM has challenged me with a lot of uh, very critical roles, um, ranging from marketing to running a business to software development. And you know, I think I've been fortunate in a way that I've been involved with a lot of disruptive technologies and disruptive business models over the course of the years and and that's really great because being at IBM you know our mindset always is where is the puck moving to you know where's value migrating and how do we you know understand how our clients can you know get some of that value and how can IBM become you know their uh, their essential partner as they go through that, uh, you know, that transformation, if you will. So it's, it's been a blast. Yeah, I love that you snuck in the Wayne Gretzky hockey analogy 
uh, where, where the puck is going to. For those that didn't catch that, uh, I'm a big Gretzky fan. I'm a huge hockey fan. So, cool. What is – so, you know, everybody – by the way, you dropped some names there, Unix and NCR and IBM. So, IBM, the initials were International Business Machine, NCR, National Cash Register. Both companies, I believe, have come a long way from, from what – they are, yet they've still managed to pay homage to their history by keeping at least their initials. What's IBM up to today? I mean, because you don't make computers anymore, do you? Well, I tell you what, we, we, we make, uh, I mean, we, we do a lot of stuff, right? I mean, we started out being very focused on building servers and computers and mainframes. And, you know, as, as uh, the industry changed, I mean, you can't think of a company that has reinvented itself so many times, right? I mean, you think about in the technology industry over a hundred years. I mean, we're like the only company that has done this. And uh, that to me is very exciting. And so what IBM is up to now is, you know, we're really focused a lot on uh, how, you know, we started out talking about Smarter Planet, where we said how over the course of, and this was about maybe six, seven years ago, we talked about how, uh, um, you know, technology is going to change the way companies, corporations, and countries is going to, are going to operate. And what's happened over the last couple of years is analytics has really taken things over. So if you look at any industry, any decision that gets made can be made better because of analytics and because of technology, whether it's predictive or cognitive. So um, we are very, very focused, first and foremost, on our clients, on how all of these, uh, you know, you talk about cloud and analytics and mobile and social and security, all of these trends in the industry that are creating a lot of disruption, but also creating a lot of opportunity. And we are always focused on how can we work with our clients uh, so they keep uh, evolving their business models and positioning themselves to do well. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why IBM has done so well over 100 years is because Focusing on our clients is in our DNA, and we're always focused on how do we help our clients make the most out of what they have, and that's what we're focused on now. Well, I love that, and I know you do a great job or you wouldn't be where you are today and uh, as a company. So analytics, let's talk about analytics. That's kind of a scary word for some. Some may say analytics is going to put me to sleep. Please, if you're driving, I'm going to just tell you now. Pull, no, don't pull over <laughs> because we're going to make analytics exciting because without analytics, basically you can't manage what you don't measure. And I think analytics gives us a great opportunity to measure what makes a company success. But I think the key of analytics is knowing what to analyze. Uh, we can get so much data. And, and so I'm going to ask you this or, or comment on this, this comment that I'm making. You can get so much data, and I think the best marketing people, uh, the best, uh, you know, some, I would, for chief customer officers, even the best CEOs, they at the top know what questions to ask. You can have hundreds of data points, thousands of data points, but there are only may, may be a few that count. Uh, am, I, am I on the right track here? I mean, that just kind of simplifies things a little bit. Absolutely. And, you know, analytics, right? I mean, when you think about analytics, it all comes down to data. And, you know, data can be structured, it can be unstructured, it could be, you know, what we call data at rest, it could be data in motion, you know, real-time streaming data. Uh, You know, some of the data is what enterprises have, 
you know, within their data centers, but a lot of, you know, lots of data now that's relevant to make better decisions is uh, being generated outside the enterprise, whether it's machine-generated data with the Internet of Things or it's people-generated data like in social conversations and what have you. And the key is to integrate all these different types of data and apply different types of analytics whether it's natural language, text analytics, or it's predictive analytics, or more and more cognitive systems. But it's the ability to apply different types of analytics to different types of data to do exactly what you said, Shep, which is help senior executives you know, answer the right questions, get those insights so they make better decisions. And you know, the other part of analytics, which is also driving significant you know, value creation, if you will, is that more and more analytics are becoming pervasive across the enterprise. So it's not just, you know, a CMO or a CFO or some C-level executive that's asking the right questions. It's also, you know, in a call center, for instance, when somebody's calling in, then can analytics help that call center rep have a more relevant conversation with the customer based upon customer's propensity to churn, their lifetime value, where they're at, uh, and it's enabling every individual in an organization to get the benefit of analytics without them being a knowledge worker, quote-unquote, if you will. That's the power of analytics is everybody ends up uh, making better decisions because of you know, intelligence in, in the systems behind the scenes. Right. So just as, as an example to the call center you mentioned, customer calls, you're able to, uh, because of their history and data that you have on them, you're able to determine they've been a customer for X number of years. They call in once every two years. Uh, the, you can see what they've bought, and immediately your your machine, your software starts to analyze what this typical customer is about. So the person who's dealing with that customer all of a sudden has a leg up on what that customer might be thinking, what type of customer they are. Is that right? Absolutely. Is that a simplification? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually not. I think it's a very good use case because, you know, at the end of the day when a call's coming in, because, see, it used to be like, what, seven, eight years ago, people kept moving cost centers to lower-cost countries thinking, okay, it's a cost center, but... You know, I always felt like, what a mistake, because here you have a real opportunity to have one of your employees talk to a real live customer, and done right, that's an opportunity for significant, you know, sort of um, brand value sort of generation, right, and building more loyalty. So, so think about if a call comes in, if the system knows, okay, based on this phone number, we know enough about this individual you can actually automatically present to the call center agent that, look, based on this individual's interactions with us, here's their lifetime value based on their recent interactions they've had with us, here's their propensity uh, to churn. And you could also, based on what they are saying, the systems can determine if their propensity to churn is just shot up. Because, you know, maybe what they're calling about is, you know, I'm a cell phone, my, you know, my coverage keeps dropping in particular times of day. And, you know, the systems know that whenever people call about that particular issue, it usually leads to someone defecting to, you know, a different brand. So systems can in real time process what people are calling about and then present to the call center agent what type of offer is going to have the best chance of acceptance and what type of an offer is going to make the most ROI related sense to the to the to the company so this is just one example Shep, of many that clients are deploying using analytics at the back end to do a better job of 
delivering a personalized, relevant customer experience, and also making sure that uh, you know you are you know improving your business metrics, right? Whether it's churn or just a uh, share wallet. Right, I, and I love this example because it makes I think everybody. Everybody can relate to their cell phone dropping. Everybody can relate to picking up the phone and calling their carrier frustrated. And if the carrier knows, they, and by the way, this is really important. We're not talking about Big Brother, uh, somebody watching you individually. We're looking at overall trends. We're saying, gosh, we've just had 5,000 calls come in with this exact same problem. And we know that 4,600 of them will defect. And why didn't the other 400? What do we do? So we can analyze what made those 400 stay, and maybe we can put in a process that says when the customer calls about this, this is potentially how we're going to solve it, resolve it, and keep the customer. That's what analytics are about. Uh, I think that's pretty exciting stuff. We're going to take a really short break right now, so don't go away. We're talking with Deepak Advani of IBM. When we come back, I want to talk about a really cool concept. He just barely touched on it, which is about the predictive analytics, which I believe leads to predictive consumption, which is a business model that virtually any business out there should try to figure out how to use. So we'll be right back. Don't go away. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We are back on Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It, and we're talking with Deepak Advani of IBM, and we were talking about analytics, and one of the Soft mentions in the earlier segment was you mentioned predictive analytics, and I want to talk about predictive analytics at a couple of different levels. But uh, w- explain and describe what uh, or define what predictive analytics are. As a predictive analytics, in essence, you're looking at historical data and having algorithms look for trends and having these predictive models. You can make better decisions in real time. So in essence, think of predictive analytics as a way to build and train models based on historical data. And as you feed these models real-time data with a current situation, it basically gives you insights and recommendations on what you ought to do. Because very often, you know, history is a very good predictor of what's likely to happen in the future. Right, right. Except for the stock market. They even promise us, or they, or they even well, scare know, us into I'll, thinking that past performance is no indication of the future. <laughs> you know, they say that, but you still got a thriving business with technical analysis where people look at charts I, and patterns, and basically charts are nothing more than, you know, market uh, sort of emotions all encapsulated in a bunch of trends that people very often used to predict what happens in the future, but that's another topic altogether. Right. Well, I think all they're doing is they're they're covering their rear ends so they don't get sued for, for false or or uh, not not false advertising, but uh, creating you know what's the I'm not I'm not sure what the word is, but they're trying not to get our expectations yeah, too high. But I know what they're doing. But you, there's no doubt that you've got to analyze, and the best people in the business know how to analyze what's happened in the past, what's happening in the future. We know you know hey we're coming up on a presidential election next year. The markets if it's you know 80 plus percent of the time reacts a certain way to the presidential elections. So you know we can all relate to that. Um, you know you you mentioned. 
mentioned, we can make better decisions about, uh, as a company, about how our consumers or our customers or whatever you want to call them, clients, guests in the hospitality industry are going to react during certain times, during certain periods of time, based on data that we have. Uh, one of the, I think, the most exciting areas is something called predictive consumption. And I've talked about this and written about this before, which is basically through past customer experiences, you're able to predict what customers are going to buy and when they're going to buy it. And uh, the example, I think, is a real easy one. Uh, if you have an air conditioner or furnace at home and you replace that filter in that, in that uh, unit every six months, well, you know every six months you're going to need to get that. So wouldn't it be cool if your hardware store would arrange for that filter just to simply be shipped to you with a little note, it's time to change your filter. And that's because we can predict you're going to consume it. And guess what? All we have is your credit card number. That's all we need. And we just, you know, automatically debit the credit card. Uh, if you have a dog, we know that about every month you run out of dog food. So we're going to make sure your dog food shows up on your doorstep on a monthly basis. And those predictive analytics are, can be turned into predictive consumption. Now, that's analytics at its basics, uh, basic, but I think that that's cool because now we create one of the most exciting models in business, which is the subscription model where we are continuously ongoing uh, having customers subscribe to our not just services but perhaps the products that we sell. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you could take that a step further because you could also use that, use that predictive consumption use case to say, can I do a better job of inventory planning? For instance, a lot of companies will look at weather data. And if they see, you know, there's a high probability of storm heading in a particular, you know, set of zip codes, you could do the right job of stacking, you know, stocking right. the type of products people tend to buy. Uh, so this whole notion of predicting what people are likely to consume is a great use case. You know, there's another one which we see quite a bit in uh, in industries, you know, capital-intensive industries, predictive maintenance, where, you know, you can actually start looking at real machine data to look for patterns and predict when something is going to fail and, and do the maintenance before the thing really does fail. And that saves clients millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, this whole notion of predictive consumption, predictive maintenance, the whole idea is can you get proactive and can you take action before you know it ends up becoming a disaster and not only you know from a for client related use cases you deliver an outstanding client experience but taking these kind of smart proactive approaches can also result in millions of dollars of, of savings and uh, increased revenue for clients right I think that's exciting all right let's let's switch gears uh, to uh, cognitive we've talked about predictive how about cognitive yeah, and, you know, cognitive, this is really exciting space, right? I mean, when we actually, so back in the mid-'90s, we uh, had, uh, you know, we built a, a computer that beat uh, Kasparov at chess, and the world took notice, saying, wow, you know? But now when you talk about cognitive and taking on something like Jeopardy a few years ago and understanding English language and all its complexities and, and thinking in real time, what are the different potential outcomes and assigning probabilities to each of those outcomes. You know, we didn't design all this technology to, to sort of win uh, a game show, which, which, you know, was a lot of great marketing because a lot of people watch that show. But, you know, what we've been doing is applying cognitive approaches to different types of problems from healthcare to commerce, uh, you name it, right? And so from a commerce point of view, when we think cognitive, we think of a learning system 
that is ability uh, to deal with uh, you know in problems using you know natural language and it's a system that actually assigns you know different probabilities to different outcomes and learns as it goes and it really starts to get more and more intelligent as time goes on because unlike humans it doesn't forget and it just keeps improving and you know from a commerce point of view we're working on a number of initiatives uh, across uh, the area with cognitive things like you know if you ran a bunch of campaigns can you have a system that can help you understand uh, who who uh, you know responded to your offers the best can you know and if you want to look at what type of variables were predictors of lifetime value just analyzing the data and giving you answers to those questions posed in English language is one use case of cognitive and commerce. Another one is using things like, uh, you know, psycholinguistic uh, algorithms to figure out, you know, what people personality types are based on what they are saying and how they're saying it. And I Another understand project, the, the in, resonance where the inflection yeah. of their voice plays a part of that with the you know, not just hearing the words you're using, but I mean, it, this cognitive learning is about, you know, listening to every nuance. Is that right? Yeah, every, every nuance. And, you know, you could also look at what people say in blogs and, you know, in social conversations and which, how they express themselves. Uh, you know, because some people use a very simplistic sense. They'll say, okay, you know, bad, uh, you know, pretty is good, bad is bad, but what if someone says pretty bad? Or, you know, there's a lot of, you know, different dialects people use and a lot of slang people use. The ability to understand human language and then make better decisions because of it, you know, so more and more there's a lot of um, analytics that we're doing in this world of cognitive. So I, I know that IBM is a front front runner in this in this technology, and I think it's pretty exciting. And what what happens, and, and this just blows my mind, is I started receiving information about Watson. What three, four years ago? When when did it start to? When did Watson really start to catch on? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Yep, and it was just really impressive. Uh, that I get lucky, I guess. People send me <laughs> press releases, and they're telling me, "Hey, uh, we can now not only determine based on the words that people are using, but we can tell." Uh, the pacing of the words, uh, the, the, how fast a person talks, uh, whether they're high-pitched, low-pitched, uh, you know, the tone intonation, the texture of, of their messages as they're talking to a call center rep. Uh, you can also pick this up, as, as you mentioned, based on you know, perhaps the written word, an email, a response, if you're looking at social media. So it's really, it's pretty amazing. How accurate is it? I tell you what, everything in you know, all the different um, sort of out, outcomes that uh, that a Watson-like system will will uh, suggest all come with uh, probabilities, right? So it says, hey, look, there's I have 80 percent confidence in, in this being the the right answer, just like you saw in Jeopardy. And the beauty of it is that Watson can also tell you that, boy, if I had these three data points, then I could increase my level of confidence in a particular you know answer. And you know, at the end of the day, Shep, I'll tell you one thing. I've been at IBM a while, right? And and a lot of companies they're out there building technologies, and and you know, it's all about business. But when you can actually do something that elevates, you know, sort of uh, the human condition, right? I mean, that inspires more than anything else. So when you have, you know, Watson being used in healthcare, so you can actually have a better diagnosis for each individual, or Watson is getting used to find cure for cancer. I mean, how many companies you can think of, the top IT companies, can claim 
that they are actually taking on these grand challenge problems that's going to improve the quality of life for for humans on 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 earth right so that kind of stuff not only does it have great business value for us but it's something that actually inspires a lot of us uh, within IBM uh this to me is fascinating information and I feel like I'm getting a, a, a mini course in all of this. I, I wish we could spend a lot more time. What we're going to do right now is take a short break. And when we come back, I mean, a big part of what you do is marketing. And I want to get into that. And I want to wrap up with that. So, everybody, that's what we're going to talk about in just a moment. Don't go away. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here, back on Amazing Business Radio, talking with Deepak Advani. We've been talking about really some pretty heady stuff here, analytics, predictive analytics, cognitive analytics, how it can help us make better decisions, how Watson is a great product, and how actually very few companies actually are doing what IBM's doing and, and going into so many different areas. And the fact that getting into healthcare and helping, uh, you know, symptomatic research and tracking trends and the analytics there to make a better diagnosis, cool things are happening over at IBM. Far different than that uh, international business machine uh, company that we've known about from, what, almost 100 years ago. What we want to get back into, though, is let's talk about marketing. Let's talk about customer service and customer experience. And Deepak, flawless experiences, I always think flawless is great. Flawless, frictionless, perfection. I don't think it's total reality. I think it's a great goal to have once in a while. uh, You'll actually achieve it. But you guys talk about something called the perfect post purchase moment, which it ties into the customer experience. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so basically, you know, the, the way people used to think of marketing and sales, you know, their job was to get someone to buy. You know, we say, what's the end of the journey? It's when somebody bought something. The world we're moving into now, or we're already in now, that's when the journey begins. When somebody's actually bought your offering or your product or your service, that's really the beginning because, you know, the world we live in today, if they have a great experience, if they actually got what they thought they were going to get, they're going to become your advocates. And if you blow them away uh, in a complete unexpected way and they say, like, wow, I really love this, right? I mean, I think a company that's done a great job of that is remember when you first got an iPod. Uh, with Apple, right? I mean, you, the experience when the box arrived, the styrofoam was shaped for crying out loud, and everything just worked. So it's, you know, when, when you end up surprising customers and delighting customers with their post-purchase experience and create these moments of like, wow, that is the single biggest thing that brands can do to drive loyalty and repurchase and advocacy. So, you know, and there's many, many examples of this, right? And some of it almost is like serendipity. It's like, you know, wow, how did that happen? I mean, I'll tell you, it's like, you know, you're like, you ha- you got to go to a dinner meeting. It's real important. You rush out of your building. It's New York City. It's Midtown. Heavy traffic. And boom, there's a taxi waiting there for you. You get in a taxi and every signal is green and you get there faster than you envisioned and get your meeting on time. Serendipity. How did that happen? Now, you know, so that's an example of serendipity. But if brands can start to think about each and every individual and their propensities and what really makes them tick and then deliver to them these perfect moments that that, that makes the customer go, wow, I'm blown away. 
that builds an unbreakable bond and that builds advocacy and the world we're moving to now, that is the new currency. So how do you do that? Uh, are, are, I mean, are we using technology to drive that post-experience? Uh, are we just factoring in that, you know, what we're doing right now, I mean, I always think that I call this the loyalty question when you're dealing people to people. It's what am I doing right now to make sure that the next time the customer needs whatever it is that I buy, they're going to come back. And I know what you're saying. I think that post-experience, I call it the after-experience. You're, you know, this this uh, perfect post-purchase moment, that's a mouthful, but I said it right, is is key. What can we do afterwards to just reconfirm, you know, cement in their minds that they made the right decision? So how do we go about that? I think you go about that by analyzing every touch point you have with the customer. So it really comes down to, you know, when you think about it, what are the touch points? Okay, you have a salesperson perhaps that's talking to a seller, maybe a branch office, you got a, you know, if you're a bank, you're, you're interfacing with the, with the client, but it's a website, it's the call center, it is, you know, the experience they have with the offering itself, everything, and even the advertisements that they're gonna see when they go online, everything, the more it is personalized, the more it's relevant, the deeper your bond will become with your consumer. And you know the way you gotta think about it is again, it comes back to what we started this conversation with, which is but analytics is at the heart of it. Because if you can start having more relevant conversations at every touch point you have with the customer, when they call into your call center, even before they've, you know, talking about what they don't like, you can say, you know what, XYZ is what you know I'm gonna do for you to make you whole. There's a lot of decisions companies can take at every one of these touch points that actually builds brand ad- advocacy, um, builds brand equity, and therefore builds advocacy. But at the end of the day, what we are doing, Chef, is we're working with our clients to understand the journeys that their consumers take before purchase and post-purchase, and helping them design these perfect experiences that are at every touch point, which we think is so important going forward. Right. I think just today I was uh, asked a, a query uh, from a reporter, what is missed in journey mapping? And, and for those that don't know, journey mapping is when you just plot out the customer's journey with you. And I think there's there's several things that miss. Number one, people think that the beginning of the journey map is the moment the customer interacts with somebody in your company. You know what? I think it happens long before. It could happen when yep. you're when they're sitting at the dinner table with their kids or their parents or their best friends, and somebody says, you're not going to believe what I just bought the other day. And all of a sudden, wow, that's where it really starts. And then they go online. They start to research. Maybe they hit the website. Maybe they see a commercial. Uh, maybe it's something they're going to buy in person, and it's part Part of driving to that part of town when they hit your parking lot what happens the moment they're on your property not the moment they interact with the employee for the first time uh, you know on that website how easy is it to navigate that website how uh, if there's a problem how easy is it to fall back to a phone number you know zappos.com phone number on every single page they're a mail order type business web-based but boy they are equipped to handle the in-person experience probably better than almost any call center out there so then you've got the after experience what happens when they walk out the door what happens when when the package is shipped um, you know one of the things that we do in our little company is somebody buys a book or a dvd or one of our online courses and it's 
you know, immediately a computer-generated uh, thank you message goes out, but that doesn't mean that somebody in our office isn't going to send a personalized message, even pick up the phone and say, hey, I want to make sure you received your book. I mean, that's just what we do is kind of the follow-up. I think you can automate this, you can systematize it, and, and, and uh, I think that after experience or the perfect post-purchase moment, very powerful. That happens is at, toward the end of the journey map. But then it cycles all over again, doesn't it? You know, it starts it sure all over. Does. You know, sure maybe we cut out the early help. part, you know, where they have to warm up yeah. to us because they're already there. But it, it all starts and we get, we get a chance to be perfect all over again. It's a cycle. You know, we used to think in marketing of the funnel, right? I mean, you get somebody aided on aided awareness, you get someone preference and you get your buy and, and, and whatnot. But now this is more of a circle because once somebody buys your product and they're delighted by the experience they have, then they're going to basically go out and become your advocate and they're going to talk about it. They'll tweet about it. And that's a good thing. So at the end of the day, you know, we really have moved into a world where experience trumps everything else. And, you know, that, that also means that instead of marketing organizations, you know, spending all their time on advertising and how do I communicate my value proposition, which, by the way, is important, but it's not nearly as important as making sure that you actually deliver what you promised you would. Right. So obviously marketing is is just transforming into something completely different than it was. Uh, you know, people, you know, like you said, fill the funnel. Morton Steakhouse, uh, Tom Baldwin used to be the CEO of Morton's. And uh, Morton's had a really interesting philosophy. They never advertised, uh, at least from the traditional standpoint. And they said their best marketing and their marketing department was all of the employees that interacted with the customer. So those customers would go out and say, wow, tell their friends about it, be that advocate or evangelist, as you mentioned earlier. And uh, if there was a way to add to that with an after experience, and that might be the phone call the next day saying, hey, just want to make sure you had a great meal last night, or some follow-up piece to it that's personalized. I think that just goes over the top. But what, in your view, with marketing changing so much to becoming more experience-related than, than what it used to be, what's going to make tomorrow's marketer more successful? Look, I think we really are entering the golden era of marketing. Uh, I think what you're going to see is influence of marketing is going to go way beyond just marketing functional silo. I think marketing is going to start becoming uh, very data-driven, very analytic savvy. And I believe marketing is really the best organization that can be the steward for the brand and, and also be you know, the customer advocate within the enterprise. So what I envision is marketing is going to go way beyond just communicating the message. Marketing is going to focus on all the touch points that the companies have, uh, making sure that within the call center, you know, within a branch office, all the touch points that a consumer has uh, is, is delivering an outstanding experience that's you know, relevant and personalized. So I really do see that marketing is going to become more of a science than an art and it's going to become much more data-driven than it's been in the past. Right. And, and if we do it right, then the customer will follow through for us, not just by purchasing, but by continuing our marketing message and our brand promise uh, and, and advocate for us and, and, and uh, be our evangelist and share their great experiences and with their friends, their colleagues, whether it be B2B, B2C, everybody's going to talk about us. Let's make sure it's done well. So as we wrap up here, Deepak, as we wrap up, I always like to ask the one thing question. What's the one thing that you want to share with us? Maybe it's a, uh, an emphasis of something you've already said today, or maybe it's something that you want to make sure that we walk away with, some nugget, some piece of knowledge that we're going to go and say, yeah, that was worth listening to. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know, put you on the spot. What I would here. like to say is, <laughs> I mean, what I would like to say is, you know, for those of you looking for a partner to to work in this space, think IBM. But on on a serious note, you know, what I would like to leave your audiences with is, you know, like Mrs. Robinson, right? It's like, what's the one word plastics? I think the one word that I want everyone to really internalize is, you know, analytics, right? Because analytics, whether it's predictive or cognitive, applied, uh, you know, algorithm uh, algorithms that are uh, looking for patterns in all this data to help individuals make better decisions, that is becoming critically important, uh, not only in you know technology that companies like IBM are bringing to market, but in organizations that are users of this technology uh, become analytics savvy, right? I mean, if you are in the marketing organization, this is an opportunity for you to have a seat at the table. Look, I was a CMO for four years, and I know I talked to a lot of my CMO colleagues, and one of the key things, the companies that are doing really well are ones where the CMO has the confidence of the board and CEO and they have a seat at the table. And I think through the use of analytics, data-driven techniques, marketing can really start delivering an outstanding customer experience, which at the end of the day uh, is going to you know, separate winners from losers. So I would say the one word, one recommendation, analytics, get on with it. All right, and I love that for those, that, especially the millennials out there, uh, there was reference here to a movie from way, I'm going to say back in the 70s maybe, <laughs> uh, Dustin Hoffman, yeah. <laughs> uh, The Graduate, one of the greatest movies of all times. And, and at the graduation party, uh, Dustin Hoffman, who had just graduated, was approached, and, and the gentleman said, there's one word, one word, this is going to make you success, and the word is plastics. Well, today yeah. Deepak has given us a new word. So the the version of today's graduate is going to be analytics <laughs> so that's great hey deepak thanks so much for for joining us on amazing business radio this is why we call it amazing business radio because this was amazing you gave us a lot of information uh and you managed to make it, 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 it some a very complicated subject and something that's pretty edgy and, and forward thinking into something we can all relate to with some great examples so I thank you very, very much. And for everybody out there listening, thank you for tuning in. My name's Shep Hyken. This is Amazing Business Radio. And remember, always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.